Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to Psalm chapter 8. It's so good to have you here. How many are enjoying this summer? Amen. Get out there and enjoy it. I know that I am. It goes by so fast, doesn't it? Psalm chapter 8, I want to talk to you today about his story. Everybody say his story. And if you say it real fast, what are you saying? History. You got it. I don't need that, sir. Thank you. We don't have to look at the history books to know his story. We look to the book, the Bible, amen, and we get his story. We get his story. We get the understanding of what the big picture is. What is this all about? So those of you who are joining with us new, we are in a sermon series where every week I'm showing up just getting a word from the Lord, fresh out the oven, most of the time back there in my office or on my ride here, studying myself full to preach myself empty here in the house of God. And what's unique about this is both services are different. So go and check the app, check the the podcast and the Facebook, YouTube, whatever's convenient for you for the other service because it will not be this message. Somebody say his story. Amen. Thank you. Look at Psalm chapter 8, verses 1 and onward. We're going to read the whole psalm here. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Someone's praising God right there. Come on. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? Have you uh, looked out into the stars yet this, uh, this summer, seen the beautiful sky that God has made, the creation that is up there? The Bible says we are even greater than that. Look at it again in verse 5. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Let's say verse 9 together, 1, 2, 3. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Have you ever thought about how amazing it is that God made us? Just the fact that you're made, that you are a unique human being upon this earth. And what a blessing to do this message, which I didn't plan accordingly, but, uh, you know, with the baby dedication, to see these wonderful human beings made in the image of God. They were created by God to have rulership over the heavens and the earth. Look again at verse 5. And don't get it twisted because when we see that we were made a little lower than the angels, sometimes people think, well, that means that we're less in status than the angels. That's not what it means at all. We are actually going to judge angels, the Bible says. We are over angels in authority. But what it meant by saying a little bit lower than the angels is it meant that the angels are in God's heavenly presence, always able to see the presence of God, and we're made in a different realm. But just because we're made in a different realm doesn't mean that we don't have authority over them. We are actually the rulers of this realm. Did you know that? Can I hear an amen if you believe that? If you didn't know it, say amen now. You're learning. You are the ruler of this realm. Did you know that angels are not the ruler of the heavenly realms? They're not. Jesus is the ruler of the heavenly realms, and he made earth for us to rule over earth as he rules over heaven. 
You were made for rulership. You were made for dominion. And yet so often we forget this important message and we allow ourselves to be dominated by the things of this world. I was taking out Pastor Jared for a meal this past week, and I just wanted to bless him before he went back to Dallas. And we were in, um, you know, a suburban area, and it's kind of one of those ritzy areas, if you know about Barrington and South Barrington area. It's one of those places. And we were out there. I was just treating him good, just letting him know how much I appreciate him. And while we were walking off our meal before we went to our dessert area, we passed by a place that said Goat Yoga. Have you heard about Goat Yoga? <laughs> <laughs> I hate to be the one to tell it to you if you haven't heard about it because it is surely stupid. But in this posh area, they have goat yoga. And then they have a face of a goat and all of the new age auras coming out of the face of the goat. And here's how it works. Can I break down goat yoga to you? They bring in goats off the farm. They bring them into the yoga room. And while, yes, you're like, no, yes. And while you are doing yoga, the goats come around you and make their noises, use the bathroom, hop on you, lick you, chew on you or your clothes, and you pay money for that. My Italian grandfather had a farm in southern Illinois, and he did that every day, and he called that working on a farm. He had all these goats just walking around. He always did a trick where he would go down like this and the goats would jump on his back. That was just part of how he was playing around. Now, I know there's something special about nature going outdoors. I know there's something about animals. But look at right here, verse 6. You made them, talking about humanity, rulers of the works of your hands. You put everything under their, your, their feet. You are made to rule over goats, not do yoga with them all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild. But you know what the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, that they exchanged the glory of God and stopped worshiping the Creator, but started worshiping the creation. Turn with me there to Romans chapter 1. Isn't this a sad time that we live in? I don't know about you, but I was a church kid. Is anybody else here able to relate to me as being a church kid? Anybody else grow up in church? Well, there were some things that happened in church that would, you know, make you blush right now if I told you. So don't think church kids are just, you know, born holy. We had to get sanctified too. Can I hear an amen? I did some things in church that I regret. Come on, somebody. I saw a lot of crazy stuff. But there were a lot of good things that happened growing up in church. Go to Romans 1, chapter, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 18. One of the things that I remember hearing about in church all the time is don't be an idolater. Don't worship idols. That's what they did back in the day, and God judged them. How many used to hear things like that? Don't be an idol worshiper. Don't have idols. You're not supposed to have an idol. How many grew up in a certain kind of family where witchcraft was considered also, you know, to be the magic of cartoons? You couldn't watch certain cartoons because that was witchcraft. And, and idolatry, you, you couldn't put up a poster. Some of us grew up like that. Maybe that would be, you know, idolatry of a, of a sports star. Some some people grew up really strict. Listen to me. I, I would rather you grow up strict as a church kid than you need to be running the streets. Can I hear an amen? So even though some of you church kids, you got a little bit of church hurt, just understand that it's better to be church hurt than to be killed out there, amen, and to be wicked and evil. Okay, so if you got real church hurt, God will heal you. But I remember growing up in church hearing about idols, and I used to think to myself, this is so strange, 
Why would anybody carve out something and then say, that now is my God? That just seems so strange. I thought to myself, they must have just been dumb back then. They just must have been stupid. I'm just being honest as a church kid. I don't know about you, but you might have thought that. You know, Like, man, they were just dumb back then. They didn't know any better. When they heard thunder and lightning, they thought that was the gods up there getting angry or throwing down you know, their, their lightning bolts. They didn't have science like we do. That's so dumb. Until somebody say Mardi Gras. Until I went to Mardi Gras. When I joined the Bible College of uh, New Orleans, the one that was in New Orleans School of Missions, we had to attend Mardi Gras. And there for the first time, I saw people worshiping the Greek gods that the parties are based around, Bacchus and Zeus and all of these other things. I saw them worshiping idols, calling out for beads. And I began to think to myself, oh, dear God, it's not that people are stupid. It's not that they're dumb. These people understood out there that that God was not alive, that that God wasn't real, but they wanted it to be real. They wanted something from that idol that they knew they couldn't get from the God of heaven and earth. And so they wanted to give their worship to that idol to receive something that the God of heaven and earth wouldn't give them. And do you want to know what that was? Because I believe all good things come from God, but how many know there are some things God won't give you? How many know God won't give you permission to live in sin? But you see, those false gods did. So as they were shouting out to that false god, they were getting something that the God of heaven and earth wouldn't give them, and that was permission to do what they wanted. Now track with me here in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. It says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Let me say they suppress it. Amen. Don't forget that word suppress. Verse 19, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Somebody say, make it plain. Thank you. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Somebody say they're without excuse. Amen. I'm going to get to this next part, but I want to work our way through the word here. The Bible says that they know the truth, but they're suppressing it. Have you ever been swimming and brought a ball there with you? Either, you know, a football, a basketball, one of those kind of big plastic balls. Have you ever brought one into the pool with you and tried to hold it underwater? What happens when you try to hold a ball underwater? It, it keeps coming back up, doesn't it? Because it's natural for the ball to flow with that air that's in it. And so for you to keep it under the water, what do you have to do? Use the Bible word. starts with an S. What do you have to do? Suppress it. But there's a fight to keep it suppressed. That's what people are doing in their conscience towards God right now. They know Bacchus is not God, but they're suppressing the truth of the real God so that they can get something from that God. They know that these idols are not real. They know that these things that they're putting before God are not real. But they would rather suppress that knowledge, pretend it doesn't exist, than to acknowledge God. Why is that? Look at verse 21. 
For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Now look at verse 23, and let's read it together. Just highlight it up there. Let's read it together. One, two, three. And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Thank you. Isn't that what the world has done? They have traded the glory of the immortal God for these images. And then it lists out the kind of images that they're trading the glory of God for. They're trading the glory of God for images that look like other human beings. They're they're trading it for things that are like birds that fly in the sky, for animals and for reptiles. Now keep this in mind as you listen to me read the verses following. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual immorality for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Somebody say amen. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say that was just the introduction. In that introduction, I hope you understand how important it is to know God's history, His story, because you were made to have dominion. You were made to have the glory of God. You and I were meant to be like God, godly, not godless. We were made to know our Creator, not to be deceived by creation. We were made in the image of God. I could say something right now more detailed, but the Lord is asking me to refrain it a little bit, so be patient with me as I do. But how many appreciate married life? How many appreciate knowing that someone else loves you just the way you are, but too much to let you stay that way? (laughs) Come on, somebody. When my wife and I are having a romantic time together, and this is just what I'll say in, in, in the summary, I will look at her at different times and I'll say, woman, you are with the son of Adam, a man of God, and you are a daughter of Eve, a woman of the Most High. I know this is romantic talk for a preacher. That's a whole nother sermon is how Christians talk to their spouses. But I know it sounds funny, but if my wife was here, she would be blushing with me as I'm blushing now because that's all I'm going to say. But there are just times I look at her and I say, whoa, man. Whoa, man. Whoa, man. You came from God through me in the beginning, Adam and Eve, one flesh. I come from God in his likeness. I was made like God. I'm not talking about being a bodybuilder today and greasing yourself up to make yourself believe it. I'm just saying if you can get a revelation of this, you and I were made in the image of God. We were made to have the glory of God be our covering. I mean, Gucci has nothing on this. All of these designers have nothing on what God originally intended us for. Somebody say his story. Go to the book, the beginning of the book, please, Genesis chapter 1, the book that starts it all off, Genesis, the book of beginnings. 
I want to take you through his story, and I hope today you get a holy tenacity inside of your heart to not let anything mar the image of God, to know how special and unique you are and the plan that he has for you and that you will live it out as well as myself. Can I hear an amen? Go to Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26, then God said, let us. There is the triune nature of God. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over the livestock, and over all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God made mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is the beauty of our creator making us in his image. The birds weren't made in the image of God. The animals on the ground were not made in the image of God. The fish in the sea were not made in the image of God. That's why eventually we can eat them. And how many are glad you can eat some of them today? Aren't you glad you can eat the birds? Anybody like some chicken? Aren't you glad you can eat the fish? I don't know what's going on with Subway, but there's some trouble right now. But how many are glad you can eat some real tuna? Anybody like sushi here? How many know that you can eat a cow? Amen. Why did God make it so slow and so good so that you could catch up with it and eat it? (laughs) That thing's just moving along. That's good food right there. Thank you, Jesus. You made that one easy for me to get. That's why probably lions and, and, and tigers and cheetahs probably don't taste so good. Amen. They move too fast. They're not worth it. God made the best stuff move slow. Are you listening to me? We are made in the image of God, and yet we're so easily deceived in this culture to worship other humans, to worship entertainers, to worship businessmen and women, to worship people among us who studied a little bit more than us, to make these our idols. What has happened to us? Why are we so easily deceived by someone shaking their hips? To now we forget the God who made us and the purpose he made us for. You were made in the image of God. You were made to have rulership and dominion over God's creation. That's history. That's literal history. That's what you and I were made for. Let's see how this plays out in the story of the Bible as God starts to meet with people. Go to Genesis chapter 4 verse 6. How many know the story of Cain and Abel? But how many know God reasoned with Cain before he killed Abel? Look at Genesis chapter 4, verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, somebody say do what is right. Thank you. Will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. How many know right there at the beginning, before the murder uh, rate ever spiked, before it ever took off, God is there reasoning with the human being, saying, I didn't make you for this. How many know if we went right back here to the book, there would be no more murder in our culture? How many know God is still speaking? But what are people doing with the spirit of murder? They are suppressing their conscience. They are suppressing the command of God. They are suppressing what they know is right so that they can serve themselves, serve their gang, serve these wild creatures of this world so they can have more of the things of this world. 
living like bruised beasts, are they not, the Bible says? When we don't live according to God, when we don't live according to his standard, are we not then living like brute beasts? Living without the mind and the conscience, isn't that what animals do? Kill and be killed. It's a dog-eat-dog world. That dogs eat dogs. There's nothing wrong with that. That animals eat their young. There's nothing wrong with that. But here is God speaking to one of his own. Speaking to one that is made in his image. And he's saying, that's not what I made you for. And sin is now crouching at your door to take that away from you. I don't want to make this about the devil, you know, who came in the garden or sin that's now tempting Cain. But we have to understand that that is what is going to diminish the glory of God in our lives, is following Satan's temptation towards sin. But God never leaves us without his message. God never leaves us without a way of escape. God is always there to make a way. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Now go with me to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, going through the patriarchs of the Bible. Somebody say his story. Thank you. Look at how God calls out Abram at that time, who's soon going to be called Abraham, a father of many nations. Look at how the Lord speaks to him. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse, uh, and whoever curses you will I curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. How many would love for God to say that to you? Can I tell you why God said all that to him? Go to James chapter 2, verse 2. The reason why the Bible says God said all of that to Abraham, then at that time Abram, is because God was his friend. Come on, somebody say a friend of God. Look at James chapter 2, verse 2. Do I have uh, the right verse here? Let me give it to you. Uh, 23 rather, chapter 2, verse 23. Do you want to be a friend of God? Look at it right here, verse 23 of chapter 2 of James. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's what? God's friend. You see, when you go through God's history, when you go through his story, you see that God is always wanting to be a friend to humanity. And that through his friendship, what is he doing? He's blessing them. He's giving them the things that they can't do for themselves. Connect that back to Genesis chapter 12. Go back there now and understand what is it like to be a friend of God? What is it like to hang out with God? What is it like to be close with God? It's God making you great. Do you see that? Friends of God are made great. Friends of God are blessed. Friends of God are protected when others curse them. Friends of God are a blessing to the earth. That's his story. He made us to be rulers. He made us to have authority. He made us to be his friends. He made us to be not given into temptation, but to follow his will for our lives. Let me ask you a question. How are you doing with his story in your life? How are you doing? Are you worshiping the creator or the creation? Are you living according to the commands of God or are you pretending they don't exist and you're suppressing them? Are you a friend of God having these things manifest in your life or are you a friend of this world and you have the opposite? You have the troubles of this life weighing you down. 
You see, God made us for glory. God made us for his purpose. God wants us to be blessed. God wants us to be great. God wants us to be protected when others come against us. God wants us on the earth to be a light shining in his representative. Can I hear an amen? Moving on now from Abraham's descendants, go to Isaac, Genesis chapter 26. His story. Look at what God does in humanity. Look at what he did in Isaac's life. Go to Genesis chapter 26, verse 1. There's a famine. There's trouble in the land. People without jobs. People without food. Are you tracking with the story? Now there was a famine in the land. Besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Do not go down and get that vaccine if you got faith. Come on, somebody. Now, others of you, you got faith and you want a vaccine. I got to be nice to you, but you get what I'm saying. Don't go down and get your food stamps. Don't go down to your cousin and ask to borrow them more money because they're going to never let you forget it. Whatever example you want to put in there. Don't go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I told you to live. Do what I told you to do. Do what I told you to do. You'll get herd immunity one way or another. Amen. <laughs> Come on. I know. I got to put that in there. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will what? Will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give you all these lands. You don't need to go borrow from them. I'm going to give you the land. And will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all the nations on the earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. How many know there's a generational blessings when you come to God? Amen. You know, God says, I got your back. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bless you. How many of you want to give an inheritance to your children today? How about your children's children? How about to the third and fourth generation? Because you obeyed, they're blessed. Now, they've got to make their own decision because at that point, Isaac could have disobeyed and said, no, I want to do my own thing, and he would have whoop just left out of the covering of Abraham and put himself under curses. But as he was obedient to the God of Abraham, he was receiving the blessings of Abraham. You see, God is wanting us to give an inheritance to our children, not an inheritance of anxiety. Did you know that could be passed down? Not an inheritance of depression. That can be passed down. Not, a, not, a, not a, an inheritance of fear, phobias, well, mama was afraid to do this, so I'm afraid to do this. Not that, but an inheritance of courage, an inheritance of obedience to God, an inheritance to know the Creator and have dominion upon the earth, to have a godly inheritance. How many want to hand that down to your children? Come on, let me show you Jacob, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Go to Genesis chapter 28. Somebody say his story. God was faithful to Abraham. God was faithful to Isaac. God is faithful to Jacob. There was one time when we were in a service and God was showing up. How many love when the presence of God comes powerful in a room? I mean, we know we always have God with us. He's present with us. But how many know there are special visitations when the Lord appears or shows up and he just rocks your world, right? He just does amazing things. 
Well, one of these services that we were in, I was right there in the corner, and I was just getting high on the most high, amen, and I was just getting lambasted in the Lord. He was just roasting and toasting my flesh and just exploding the Holy Spirit inside of me. I have all the one-liners here, amen. Turning my frown upside down. He was putting a pep in my step. I couldn't hold still, amen. The Holy Spirit was flowing through me like electricity. And there was just this word that just kept vibrating through my soul. And it just kept going over and over again. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. He just kept saying it over in my spirit. And it meant so much to me because the same God that was alive and doing things back then is alive and doing things now. And those who had once been with the Lord on this earth who have now passed away in heaven, they are now witnesses. And they're testifying to us from heaven to earth saying, do it. God is able. Walk on the water. He'll keep his word. And so I, I want to show you here what Jacob's life was like. Jacob wrestled. How many know he wrestled with an angel, but we know it turned out to be God? How do we know that? Because he said he saw the face of God. Genesis chapter 28 is where he goes to the stairway of heaven, but let me just skip ahead for the sake of time to show you where he wrestles God in Genesis chapter 32. Now, how many know if God was wrestling for real, he could have obliterated him? How many know if I wrestle my son for real, I could throw him through the window? But how many know we still wrestle? Right? Some people get freaked out by this. How can you wrestle God? God is the creator of heaven and earth. Because God can dial it back if he wants to. If a human being can dial it back, I think God could dial it back. Are you tracking with me? So he wrestles with them. And how do we know it's God? Because look at it in chapter 32, verse 30. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I have saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. So he names the place, I have seen God. And what is that supposed to teach us? He has seen God. And the passage says, he saw God. So what do I think happened there? I think he saw God. That's exactly what I think happened. But I want you to notice this part of his story. He's wrestling with God because he's been a trickster all of his life. God is going to teach him a lesson. And God is going to humble him in this wrestling, give him a new name from trickster to Israel and to change his personality and the way he lives. But he also wants to make him, like he did with Isaac and, and Abraham, a representative of his kingdom. And so he's about ready to meet with his brother Esau, who he had tricked earlier in his life. And now look at Genesis chapter 33, verse 10. And so he's talking with Esau, and Esau is basically saying, let's hang out and chill some more. And now Jacob says, no, please, I, uh, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me, for to see your face is like seeing what? Come on, like seeing your face is like seeing what? The face of God. Think about this. He went from being a trickster to having a face-to-face -face encounter with God. And now when he's hanging out with his brother and they're going through a discussion, he says to his brother, seeing your face is like seeing the face of God. See, the revelation of Abraham is that the friends of God are blessed. The revelation of Isaac is that when you know God, it passes on down from your generations. The, the, the thing that we see in God's history with Jacob is that seeing the face of God changes the way you see everybody else. Jacob now looked at his brother, and he's looking at his brother, and he's like, 
you look like the one that I just wrestled with. You look like God. That's why I tell my wife, when you see me, you're seeing a son of Adam. Are you listening to me? You're seeing a child of God, baby. That's why I got to remind my wife, I'm made in the image of God, and so is she. Right? Because it's not, sometimes people look at then the creation story of male and female, and they say because woman came out of man, that that means she is in the image of man, and man alone, the, the, the male alone is in the image of God. That is not true. Male and female equally resemble the image of God, their creator. And so when Jacob saw his brother, he said, you look just like God. Do you know that you are walking around in a world with people who look just like God? That we bear the image of God. Even our worst enemy bears the image of God. Isn't that why when Jesus comes, he flips the script on what they thought was good enough morals? You know, this is good enough. I'm good enough. I'm good enough. Because for the Jewish people at that time, it was good enough to love your neighbor who was of the same culture, the same religion, but then it was okay to hate somebody different than you from a different culture and a different religion. And Jesus said, good enough morality is not how God made us. Love your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Do good unto them who want to harm you. Why is he doing that? Because he's wanting to teach his people, no matter how wicked the world is and how people act and how they suppress the truth at times and worship things they shouldn't, mankind, humanity, is made in the image of God. You are looking at people who look just like God. What an amazing history lesson to know that God made us for his glory, that God made us for dominion, and that all throughout the story of the patriarchs, we see that God is speaking, God is moving, God is revealing himself. He's not being hidden with them. Now go with me to Genesis chapter, or excuse me, Exodus chapter 3 verse 2, when God shows up to Moses and he's going to make a covenant, what we're going to consider the Old Testament covenant, the 613 laws, he appears to him in a burning bush. And as he appears to Moses, everything is supposed to be one way, but it's really another way. In other words, the bush is supposed to be burning, but it's not. Someone's not supposed to be speaking from the bush, but there's a voice coming. You're supposed to run away from this, but it's saying, come closer. And so, Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. So where is God? He's within the bush. He's within the bush. Are you tracking here? And now God is speaking to him. He says, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of who? Jacob, like that revelation I got that one day. At this, Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look at God. He's afraid. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. These are the descendants, right, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob suffering in Egypt now. They eventually go down there. God told Isaac not to go down there, but eventually Joseph does. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. Come on, somebody say, God is concerned about my suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. 
See, sometimes people say, oh, this, because it says the angel of the Lord appeared there, and they think that's a created being. But angel means messenger. We know this is the son before he comes in the flesh. That's how we can clearly see in the context, this is God. It says God from within the bush. And then he says, I have come down. So this is not the father, but it is the son, and the son is very much God. Are you listening? So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now everyone track with this. God loved his people so much that he said, I'm coming down. And I'm coming down to be with you. And what do we hear about this history? What do we hear is that he cares about the suffering. He cares about what they're going through. He cares about what they've been facing, even though it seems like maybe God has forgotten about them because there hasn't been many visitations. There hasn't been many times where he's been showing up. But he says, I've been here all along suffering with them, and now I've come down to rescue them. What is the lesson we get from Moses as we hear the history of our God? His story is that he cares about our suffering. He sees what we're going through, and he comes down to rescue us. Somebody say new covenant. To skip ahead, go to John chapter 1, verse 1, or verse 14. We know John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But look at John 1.14 and tie it together with the old covenant here. The things that you've just learned in that part of the history. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among who? Among us. We have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only Son. Who came from where? The Father full of grace and what? Truth. Go to John 3.16. For God so loved the what? The world that He sent his only Son, or only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you know that when we look at the history of God, His story, that He's always created us for glory, that He's always created us for relationship, that He's always created us to have these things that He showed us through the patriarchs, just in review, with Abraham to be His friend that is blessed, that can arise above curses, that He created us like Isaac to pass down the generational blessings, that He created us like Jacob to see the face of God everywhere He, he goes and we go, that we were created like Moses to understand He sees our suffering and that He's our rescuer. So then what's our problem then? Come on, somebody. What's our problem then? Who can stand against our God? Who can, if God is for us, who can then be against us? If God made us to have dominion, who can take it from us? But what are we struggling with? As we heard at the beginning in Romans chapter 1, we're struggling with believing that, aren't we? And suppressing that knowledge and then going in the ways of this world. When all that we see is that the history of God is about God giving us blessings, about God giving us inheritances, about God showing us his face. Come on, somebody. About God seeing us through the midst of our suffering and being there to rescue us. All we see is his hand upon our lives. Go to the end of the book. History that has not yet been made, but how many know it's already done in God's mind? How many know it's already been declared and decreed? As surely as it was said, it's going to be done. Look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. 
So that's where we're going, isn't it? We're going to the place of dwelling with our God again. Isn't that what we were made for in the very beginning? We were made to dwell with our God. We were made to have rulership and dominion over everything. But yet we've had it taken from us because we sinned. We allowed angels, fallen spirits, now known as demons, to come and take our authority, to have rulership. And yet Jesus is saying to us that this is where it ends. And so what happens in between this time is that we're part now of his story. Go to Matthew chapter 28 in closing. Vinny, would you come please? That we're now part of the history of God. We are to bring the dominion of God to this earth. We are to bring it back to the way it was supposed to be. We're not supposed to be deceived by the things of this world and be caught up with them and then suppress the knowledge of God and go to goat yoga. We are to be here showing the world the way to God. Matthew chapter 28, 18 and onward, Jesus resurrects from the dead. He has all authority in heaven and earth given to him. He tells them to go and make disciples now of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that he's commanded. And then what does he promise? I'm with you always to the very end of the age. How are you supposed to look at this now? You're supposed to look at your part in the story. It's his story. What are you going to do now? What are you going to do? Young people, do you want to know Jesus? Do you want to walk and talk with Jesus? Do you want to see his face? Do you want to see his face in others as you learn to treat humanity as God treats them with mercy? Do you want to be the one that relieves suffering of others? Do you want to be someone that has an answer to the problems, to the pains of this world? Do you want to be a walking, talking, living temple of God? Then know Jesus and make him known. Make life about him. Because truly all that we do for for heaven is all that lasts for eternity. Leonard Ravenhill had up a sign that he kept in his office that said, is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? It's his story. Your life does not belong to you. It belongs to God. It's his story. Some people look at me as a pastor and they go, oh, that must just be what you wanted to do. What world are you from? What have you been smoking (laughs) I didn't grow up in a pastor's house. I grew up as a pastor's kid and pretty much did everything wrong in the church. I never once, everybody look up at me, I never once daydreamed or thought about being a pastor. Some people do. Some of my kids do. That's amazing. But I just want to let you know, not not every pastor you see was like that. But somebody say, it's his story. See, it's his story. So when I gave my heart to Jesus, my heart was on the table. God, it's yours. Do with it whatever you want. And he said, well, this is what I want from your life. This is what what I get out of your life. This is the glory I'll get out of your life. And my story will become your story. And I said yes to the Lord. I could have said no. God didn't force me. 
But now his story is my story. Some of you look at me and you go, man, that's amazing. You have six kids. That must have been something you always wanted. I grew up as an only child. I tortured my nieces and nephews to the point. No, I'm serious. Some people are like laughing. Like, you know, it is kind of funny to hear a pastor say that. I get it. But no, I tortured them to the point that as grown adults, I had to have conversations with them and repent and say, I'm sorry for leaving you up on the refrigerator when you were three years old and not came, come to get you. Like I would just put them up there and be like, there you go for a little while. I tortured my nieces and nephews. I could have been put in jail as a young kid. I was like nine or ten, you know. When I was around children, they were like, uh. I, I was like, uh. They, they would look at me and go, uh. And I would look at them and go, uh. You know. Seriously, like it was like a mutual response. Like, uh, I don't like you. And I don't like you either. I remember being a pastor and God dealing with me. Like, you have to like these children. And I'm like, Lord, can I just have a children's pastor like the children? And I'll deal with the adults and teenagers. I can totally hang out with them. And God is like, no, you have to like the children. You have to hang out with them. So I started driving the bus. I'm telling you, this is part of my story that became his story, his story that became my story. Are you listening? I gave my 20s to the children of the inner city of New Orleans. Before I ever had a baby that looked like me and would come into my house, I loved the children of other people's houses. Took them on trips before I ever took a child of my own on a trip. Are you guys tracking with me? And God molded and changed my heart to love children so that by the time, because nobody feels sorry for Nancy here, okay? So by the time of falling in love with Nancy, 10 years later at 28, from being saved at 18, I looked at my wife and I said, I mean, excuse me, I looked at what would soon to be my girlfriend and then fiance, but before we were officially dating, I looked at her and I said, I want to have a dozen kids. Seriously. That's why I said to her, and I want you to homeschool them all. <laughs> and I want you to be a part of my life doing it, and I'm going to be there with you. But I want a woman that does that. Some of you women would run the other way. You would never look back. Like, what does this man want from me? What is this? Nancy only grew up with one other sibling, a sister. So it's almost like another chi only child. You know, So I'm an only child, and she only has one other one, like two. None of us come from big families. But we're on six. We've completed six. Now I want to believe God for seven. Amen. And what we can't do in the natural, we'll do through adoption. But everybody track with me. How many know God's story is a good story? I, I could testify longer up here, honestly. Maybe just one more. But I want you to see yourself as I'm testifying about my life. See yourself in your life, in his story, in, in, in your life. His story in your life. Some of you think that street preaching and going out and preaching is like um, natural to me because I'm an outspoken person that I see, you know, this as a way to kind of, uh, you know, get my, my ego built because I love confrontation. Once again, what are you smoking? For those of you in the natural who think that about me in the natural, you know nothing about me. Number one, I hate arguing with people that are stupid. I love talking and discussing with people that have a sense about them, but I hate 
the kind of confrontation you see with two people at the bar. I like the sock. I like the cup. Blah, 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 blah. I hate that. And I find myself so many times having these conversations with people. And literally in my flesh, I am like, you are an idiot. You are of stupid, stupid, stupid. I'm going to get free right now as I confess this to you. This is the opposite of the Catholic Church. In the Catholic Church, you go into a dark place and confess your sins. In the Protestant Church, he stands under the lights and confesses his sin to you, okay? So often I am like, you stupid, stupid, stupid person. I want to be wakeboarding right now. I want to be at the beach right now. I want to be at the 95th level of Hancock right now. I want to be with my wife talking about I'm the son of Adam right now. I do not want to be talking to you this close to my face with your stank breath and your idiocy. But what changed my heart? His story. His story changed my heart. Going through the story of wretched sinners and learning about how God came to them and spoke with them in their idiocy, in their stupidity. I mean, we could go through almost every person in the Bible and talk about how they were stupid. David committing adultery, and yet God still comes to speak with them. Moses, a murderer before that, right? Murderer, God comes to speak with him. Cain's about ready to kill his brother. God came to speak with him. Sinners, Jesus comes to speak with them. And so the Lord began to tell me, it's not about you. It's not about what you think about them. See my face in them. Look past their idiocy and see the face of my Father in them. And so when you see me preaching, and someone's acting a fool, and we're not responding, and likewise, it's because God has changed our hearts, and He's crucifying our flesh, and He's showing us what it means to love like Him. God so loved the world, He sent His Son, and He's still sending sons and daughters to this world because He loves the world. That's why we go, so they can know we go so they can know how God loves them so. Come on, somebody. We go so they can know how God loves them so. That's why sometimes I don't know if I lose my reward in heaven for this, but sometimes I stand up there and I go, some of y'all asking for a sign that God is real? Well, here's a six-foot-one sign from Fort Wayne that would never be out here on his own telling you God is real. Here's your sign. Because you think I would be here without God. What is your story going to be like with his story? When are you going to let go of your way of doing things and say, God, make my story your story? I want my story to be his story. 
And I know that's the story of a preacher up here, right? But your story may be like Juan, the story of a store owner, owner, a deli owner. Yours might be the story of a mom or of a, you know, a clerk at a store or a call technician, you know, going, uh, you know, a Comcast technician, like they came and fixed my, my cable the other day. I mean, you might be somewhere different than me, and most of us are going to be in places where we feel alone. There's not a lot of Christians, right? We feel like there's not a lot of light here. It feels hopeless here. And what God is saying to us is, you're the hope there. You're the light there. Sometimes you wonder, why am I the only one saved in my family? It's because God is using you to see your family saved. Sometimes you wonder, why is this block so dark? Why am I not on that, that, that block where everybody's a Christian over there? No, God brought you there to be the light of that block. Why is it on my job everybody paints their hair purple, is a vegan, and goes to go yoga during break? I'm the only meat eater here that looks normal. Nothing wrong with purple hair if anybody has it, but you know what I mean. You're like, why am I here? These are a bunch of weirdies. And God's like, no, I called you to be the strange one there. They think you're the weirdie because you don't go where they go. You don't do what they do. I called you to be my holy priest and a holy person right there. You're my friend. Now go be their friends. Can I hear an amen? How many want to make their story his story? Amen. Can you stand up and give it up for Jesus today? We bless you, Lord, for history. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? Sometimes we say to ourselves, oh, man, it would have been so cool to be Moses. Oh, it would have been so cool to have been Isaac. It would have been so cool to be Joseph. You know what I believe they're looking at from heaven down to earth? They're saying, man, it would be so cool to be where Nathan's at right now. I wish I could come from heaven to earth and do it all over again, knowing what I know now about our God. You see, so many of us, we're wanting to rush up to heaven, but heaven wants to come down to earth. How many know that heaven wants to come down to earth? I don't think when we get up there, we're like, boy, I'm glad that's over. I think we're then finally given the understanding of what it's all like. And then we're like, let me at him. Let me at him. Come on, let me at him. Put me down there again, God. Anybody remember that cartoon of that little pup? Let me at him. Let me at him. And it's always because the big dog's right behind him. And he doesn't always understand that, but he's like, let me at him, let me at him. I think when we get up to heaven, we go, oh, my goodness, you mean the devil, he was a fly, he was a gnat compared to the glory of our God. Let me down there again, God. I want to come back. Heaven wants to come to earth. Let's not be in a hurry to get to heaven. Let's believe God to bring down his kingdom here and to make history. Because should the Lord tarry a week you're writing the history of God today, aren't you? Tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, aren't you writing out the history of God? If the Lord tarries a year, you've got a year of his story to tell. If Jesus doesn't come back in the next 10 years, you have 10 years of his story. Woo, come on, somebody. Oh, man. You can't tell it like I can what he's done for me. You can't tell it like I can what he's done for me. Lord Terry's 10 years, I'll be singing that song. I might be singing it from a jail cell, but I'll be singing in the middle of the night. You can't tell it like I can what he's done for me. You can't tell it like I can what he's done for me. We'll sing that maybe in a moment, but 
I want us to be able to look back and go, oh, he was good. Look at what he did in 2021. Look at what God did in 2022. Look at what he did in 23. Look at what he did in 24. Don't give up, saints. He knows you're suffering. Don't feel like you're alone. You're his friend. Children, don't toss off that inheritance. Receive it from the Lord. And don't think that you're suffering alone. God's coming to rescue. Amen? Let's pray in closing today, and then we can get excited. Amen? If you need to receive it, get excited. But I'm going to pray right now and dismiss those who got to go. But those who need to stay and get excited and receive this word, we're going to open up these altars and go to singing that song. And those who just need to get free from any bondage, get free. Father, I thank you for this service today. I thank you for all the family and children that came. I thank you, O Lord, that we got to be reminded of your history, the story that's all about you. But Lord, I pray before we walk out these doors that we make sure we all know and love you, that we have been born again, that we are in your kingdom, and that, Lord, we're living out our story with you, and that every day we live, we get to be a part of your story. Father, we ask you to do it in Jesus' name. And everybody said. Amen. Can you bless them again, saints? God bless you and thank you for coming. We're going to do.